Well, good morning to those in the hall and those who are at home, or good afternoon and good evening to those who might be watching it later when they're at home. I hope I've covered everybody. Um, can I just give you some breaking news? Uh, as you are aware, um, Littlehampton Churches together have run a summer camp for children in years five and six in our local primary schools, uh, and of which there are ten in the Littlehampton family group of schools. And normally we take up to 48 children in, in blocks of 12. Well, the leaflets went out Friday week ago through our schools, and we have been overwhelmed by the response. At the moment, there are about 74 children who are booked in, which means that we couldn't run the one camp because the maximum we're allowed at Lodge Hill is 100. Lodge Hill have been very kind to us and have extended our stay, so we're going to divide it into two camps, a camp for year five and a camp for year six children. So far, the response from the parents, my email, I think, has worked overtime. They're all very positive about the changes. So if you know of any children in year five and six in our local primary schools or your friends, then tell them to get in touch with us. All the leaflets have gone out through schools. And uh, we can then take up to 48 in both camps. Uh, it's really exciting that there are so many children who have booked in. I think there are two reasons for that. Number one is all the external visits have been cancelled for the last 12 months in, in our schools. And number two is I think the parents are saying, yes, great. So, uh, and please pray. More information will come out as the weeks go by. Let me pray now as we come to the, to the word of God. Thank you, Lord for the privilege that we have of being here to worship you. We can worship you in our own homes. We can worship you wherever we are. And we ask, Lord, that as we open your word this morning, that you will be our teacher and that we will be a good listener. And we pray that we will do whatever it is you're saying to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's some week ahead of us. You heard it from the pulpit. There's something that you could do every day this week. Jesus had Wednesday off. There's no record in the Bible of what Jesus did on Wednesday. But I'm sorry, Wednesday's taken up as well. So there are services online, night prayers, in person, you name it, you can do it. But then if you think about it, it was a very busy week for Jesus. Because as he comes into Jerusalem, into the city on the donkey, he's, he's coming into Jerusalem, he stops off at Bethany, he goes back to Bethany, he's in the temple, he's facing questions from the religious leaders, he's speaking in parables, he's teaching about the end times, he's having a final meal with his disciples, his arrest, his trial, his crucifixion, but then his resurrection. We were talking to our two grandsons earlier in the week about Easter week, and, and the fact that Jesus was going to die. And, and the oldest one said to us, what was his last meal? Because normally a condemned person gets to choose their last meal. Well, yes, it was the Passover. It was the supper with the disciples. That was his last meal. 
But you remember that he talked about what was going to happen to him, and we've got recorded in the, in the Gospel writers, Mark records it three times. In Mark chapter 8, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, by the chief priests and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. But Peter took him on one side and rebuked him. When Jesus turned and looked at the disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan. He said, you do not have in mind the things of God, but merely human concerns. Chapter 9, they left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were, because he was teaching the disciples. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But the disciples didn't understand what he meant. And they were afraid to ask him about it. Chapter 10. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him, who will spit on him, who will kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Jesus knew what was going to happen to him at the end of this week. And yet he was always looking out to reach out to people. He was always looking out to how he could meet their needs. He was challenging their beliefs. He was teaching them the truth about God. He was preparing his disciples for his death, but also for his resurrection. And they arrive at Bethany. He goes back there that first evening. Why Bethany? Because there was a home there where Jesus was welcomed. We read in Luke 10, Martha opened her home to him. You're sitting comfortably having a cup of coffee and the doorbell rings. Oh, go away. But Martha opened her home to Jesus. It was a home of safety. It was a place of hospitality. It was a place of refreshment. It was a place of work. It was a place of worship. It was a place of listening. It was a place of miracles. Because that's where Lazarus came back to life again. Mary and Martha saw things slightly differently, didn't they? When Jesus came in on one occasion, Mary sat at his feet listening to him while Martha was busy doing all sorts of things, rushing around. And in the end, she got a bit exasperated with her sister and she said to Jesus, Lord, can't you tell, your sis can't you tell my sister to help me? Some of you may have heard the story that years ago there was an A-level question in RE about the contrast between Mary and Martha's behavior. And one A-level student decided that she wasn't going to go into a long argument. She just wrote one sentence. They were both wrong. They should have made the sandwiches the night before. 
But it was a place where Jesus knew he was safe. I wonder, is my home open to Jesus coming in? Or am I worried about, I haven't tidied the rooms, or I haven't done the washing up? But that's where Jesus found his rest and recuperation and re-strengthening and refreshing. So Jesus knew where he was going. He's going to Jerusalem, the city that's chosen by God. It is the city of God. It's the city towards which Daniel prayed when three times a day he would open his windows and he would pray to God and he would be facing the city of Jerusalem, the city of God. It's the place from which God ruled. It's the place from which the word of the Lord spread. It's the city to which he came at least five times during his ministry. And here he is ending up in Jerusalem for his death. It's the place from which the early church bore witness. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea. It's the place of history's final battle. And heaven is the new Jerusalem. The old Jerusalem was destroyed. But heaven is going to be the new Jerusalem. And Luke tells us that Jesus resolutely set out to go to Jerusalem. It wasn't a maybe or an if or no, I don't think I'll do that today. He resolutely set out to go to Jerusalem because he knew what was going to happen. And he knew, he knew how he was going to get there. He knew exactly how he was going to get there. Now imagine you've just bought a brand new car. And you bring it home and, and you, put it, you park it on the road and you jump out and you want to go and tell your family and show your family your brand new car. And just as you get to the front door and open the front door, you look behind you and you see that two guys have got into your brand new car and you thought, oh no, I've left the keys in there. And they've driven it away. That, that would be called Grand Theft Auto, wouldn't it? Well, here we've got Grand Theft Donkey. Because Jesus told the disciples when they got into Jerusalem, go on and you'll find a donkey tied up. Now, it's interesting reading all the different commentaries. They're as different as the different commentaries are. Apparently, Jesus had prearranged this. I don't know where they get that from. No. Jesus knew about the donkey because Jesus is the Lord of all creation. He's the Lord of the people. He's the Lord of the animals. He's the Lord of the plants. He's the Lord of all creation. Therefore, he knew. So that when the disciples went and probably were thinking to themselves, what happens if I'm questioned? You can imagine it, can't you? Excuse me, son. What are you doing with that? Many years ago, when I was much younger than I am now, I was walking through where we were living in Pinner. Do you know those little lamps that they used to have outside, sort of on manhole covers or roadworks? Um, I, I just moved one of them to somebody's house. When about two minutes later, there was this pop, 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 pop. Excuse me, son. It was the local policeman. Um... Do you normally do that? Um, no, officer. 
Would you like me to tell your mother what you have done? No, officer, I would not. Or then go and put it back. Yes, officer. And I can imagine the disciples thinking to themselves, what am I going to say? What are we going to, how are we going to say to people? But Jesus had thought of that as well. You just simply say the Lord needs it. And we will return it. So off they go. They found this colt, this foal of a donkey, and, and they bring it. Yes, they were questioned, but Jesus knew that, and Jesus knew how to answer it. They, they, they brought the donkey to Jesus. And, and as they brought the donkey to Jesus, some of the, the disciples and some of the crowd, they took off their cloaks and they put it onto the donkey. They made a saddle for the donkey. The donkey had never been ridden before. And, and some of them, they strew their, they strew their cloaks along the road. And, and they, they put palm branches. According to John, they were palm branches, but they lined the road. If you like, the donkey carrying Jesus came on a red carpet into Jerusalem. Because he's the king. And so he comes into Jerusalem. But he also came into Jerusalem in fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. Don't just start reading from Matthew's Gospel. Go back into the Old Testament because it's the whole story. And the Old Testament points towards Jesus and Zechariah pointed towards Jesus. When in chapter 9 we read these wonderful words, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He knew how he was going to get there. He knew why he was going to get there. And therefore he became the center of attention. As the crowd cried, Hosanna, which is a Hebrew word meaning save or save us, this was both a prayer and an exclamation of praise. It was help us and thank you. And that comes back, Psalm 118 verse 25. Lord, save us, the psalmist cried. Well, the people thought that he was going to come in and, and, and dismiss the Roman Empire, that he was going to get rid of the Romans. No, that's not what he came. Yes, he came in as victorious. Yes, he came in in strength, but he came in humility. And he came in submission because he knew that he was going to go to the cross. He had told Zacchaeus just a few days before, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. That was the mission that Jesus came into Jerusalem. That was the purpose. You see, he wasn't riding a war horse. He was riding a donkey, a sign of peace, a sign of humility. And as the donkey came in, so the crowds got closer and closer. That's not the first time it happened. If you go back into the Old Testament, into King Jehu, when he was uh, announced as the new king of Israel, his friends who were around him when they, when they heard the news, what did they do? They took off their cloaks and they put them on the steps. They were probably stone steps, so they were probably pretty cold. They put them on the steps so he could sit down because they were, they were saying, you are the king. You deserve our attention. The people not only shouted Hosanna, the people shouted, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That goes back to Psalm 118 as well, verse 26. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Their praise and their worship were rooted in Scripture. 
Their prayers were rooted in Scripture. The people shouted, Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. This is not a direct quote, but it reminds us of God's promise to David. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And Jesus is down on the royal line of descent from King David to King Jesus, great David's greater son. Matthew records that when Jesus came into Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. And many people asked, who is this? And they got their answer from other sections of the crowd. This is Jesus of Nazareth. Some people recognized him for who he was. If Jesus came into Little Hampton today, would you recognize him for who he is? Or would you just let him pass by? Luke records that when Jesus came into Jerusalem, the Pharisees said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. They were obviously making too much noise. If Jesus came into Littlehampton today, would I be quiet? Or would I welcome him? In his response... To, to those religious leaders who wanted Jesus' disciples to be quiet, Jesus quoted from Habakkuk, the stones of the wall will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. If these people are quiet, the whole, all the stones, can you imagine all the stones that are out there in the Easter Garden, suddenly crying out, Hosanna. We would we, think, hang on, all saints has lost it. But that's what happened. That's what Jesus said. If they're quiet then the stones will cry out. Luke also recalls that when Jesus came into Jerusalem, he wept over it. This wasn't the first time that he'd been sad about Jerusalem, if you go back into Luke chapter 13. But here we read, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you... Even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. If only... Today, but now it's hidden. Destruction is coming. It's too late. God has passed you by. That's what he was saying to the people of Jerusalem. Would Jesus weep if he came into Little Hampton today? Would Jesus weep if he came across the United Kingdom today? Let me ask you a question as we draw to a close. If you knew today that this coming Friday was to be the day of your death, how would you prepare?
What would you do? Check your insurance? Check your will? Kids probably would. You see, Jesus was prepared when he came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday for what was going to happen to him on Good Friday. How prepared am I for eternity? They welcomed Jesus in as king. He's coming back again as king. As king of kings and lord of lords. Will you welcome him? Or will you leave it until it's too late?